Mm-hmm. I we had an earlier conversation about reparations, the game. Mm-hmm. And I do think we need to figure out how we can crowdfund reparations, the game. Uh, not crowdfund reparations. <laughs> we can do both. How about this? If you fund reparations, the game, which is a shoots and ladders type game where uh, if you're, if you're a black player, you get, a die but your die has one on all four sides nice and if you're if you're white you get like dungeons and dragons die it's like what does paul get (laughs) oh oh yeah okay so if the lighter you are then the more one-sided die that you get okay okay and that's and that's how you can move up in the shoots and ladders but if your character is black, you never go just down the ladder. You you go to like the jail. <laughs> It'll be a combination of shoots and ladders and monopoly. Can't even go down a ladder. You can't even go down the ladder. <laughs> for reparations the game. And for every time a white person wins the game, then they have to give all their earnings to the lightest player. Wow. Sounds like I'm so sorry. What were you saying? I said that sounds like the kind of game I want to sponsor. <laughs> Shoots and ladders, reparations. Should we just call it reparations the game? Reparations the game. The game? Because we don't want to call it, we don't want to have reparations in a box. Because then people are gonna get mad, like, oh, I went to the store and bought reparations. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't want reparations, you but not want- for real. You don't want your white ally friends also to think that reparations in the box is reparations and like, here's your reparations. Yeah. But it has to say reparations, the game. Really big. Reparations, colon, the game. Colon, the game. Yeah. And the, yeah. And then we'll do a series of ads for it. Mm. You Are and you Gene. Ready for this? But Gene has to do the voiceover for it. <laughs> the black Fair people, enough. they steal your seed. 
Good morning to most, good afternoon to others, and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond. I am Jason Miles, your host for another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe if you're enjoying what you see. Please make sure to hit the notifications bell as we're constantly adding new shows and doing cross streams with other channels. Just this past Wednesday, we did another episode of Pop Life, where I spoke with longtime filmmaker and punk rocker Bill Cody about what led him to go from Hollywood to working on L.A. City Council. It was a fun trip down memory lane for the both of us. And you can even hear how Bill plays a Vietnamese hand in Rambo 2. That was funny. That was a good time. You watched a little bit of that show, right, MT? I did. Uh, speaking of MT, please welcome super producer, show booker extraordinaire, who, while not wanting to do this show, agreed to come on and was able to negotiate the greatest deal in TIR history. I'm not going to say what she got, but she worked out a Russell Wilson type deal. A family-friendly deal. <laughs> That's what that means. It's it. You know what? That deal. It came. It came at a cost. Mm-hmm. We should. We should tell Pascal in the production notes what the deal was because we can't say it out loud because people will get mad at us. But it was a. She got the deal of a lifetime. Of a lifetime. <laughs> For this show, that was that was a deal. So please welcome the faceless voice of reason and everyone's favorite Haitian friend. Please welcome M. Toussaint. Hello, hello. So nice to be here on a football Saturday. The real football, as I am required to say now. <laughs> that was that was that was what I got out of the deal. You have to call it's it part the of the deal. Football. Yeah, it's the real football. The real football. None of this foot. Nope. Okay, I'm okay with that. Okay, don't tell Amlo. <laughs> Remember, Amlo's not okay greatest, with it. He's the greatest president of all time. There's no crime here in Mexico. Nothing to see here. Wonderful. I went. I went out last night, mm-hmm. and uh, the dude goes, "Oh, you're the podcaster guy." At the, wow. at the place, yeah. I was like, "Oh shit, they know now." So I definitely like wonderful country. Nothing to see here. <laughs> and I want to bring in. Oh well, before I bring everybody in. If you don't want to be a patron and get all the access to the champagne rooms and the movie night, but you still want to show your support, we have, what do we have, Tucson? Can I just add to that? As a patron, mm-hmm. Jason will literally talk to you. <laughs> I do. That's the thing that he'll do. Pascal talks to you too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gene, Cuba? That's mm-hmm. fantastic. No one talks to me, but hey. I have yet to get a request 
for you. Fair enough. But because we don't pimp you out in that way, where it's like you can talk to Tucson. I'm pimpable. Okay. Well, now you guys know if you want to be a patron, you can talk to Tucson. <laughs> I said unpimpable. <laughs> well, you're unpimpable. Oh, pimpable. I was like, oh shit, this makes it easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see my Ron O'Neill phase of this mustache. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> that mustache. Someone says, "What version of Chat GPT is it?" <laughs> <laughs> that's funny Chokey wants to talk to me thank you oh that didn't sound right but oh uh, yeah <laughs> well <laughs> let's hop over to <laughs> let's hop over to the merch pitch New York pitch merch Mitch Perch Perches hey Hey. Uh, hi <laughs> do you know where you can get TIR snapbacks that's right yeah. started from the bottom now we're hats <laughs> cop the all black with the subtle gray under visor we literally got you covered son covered what else what else do we have <laughs> we have hoodies Whoa. Which, when it's cold and the hawk is outside, this will help you stay warm. It's the closest to being at home that you can get in clothing form when you go out. I love that. We have mouse pads. We have Anglo-Pessimism t-shirts. Hey. Explain it to your friends or don't. This is Revolution Mouse Pad with Pascal's smiling face. That's the greatest Aww. gift of all, is that this is Revolution Mouse Pad. Aww. Someone says MT doesn't want to talk to our crazy asses. No, MT can't wait to talk to people's crazy asses. <laughs> Don't know That's what we're going to so talk funny. about. Oh, just the weather. Weather? It's cold. Apparently it's cold. It's, cold. it's really brick. Are. It's, it's brick. That's what you call it. That, that was the whole thing, right? There's like a word yeah. you used that sounds it's like drugs. It's brick. It's brick outside. Well, when you come to Mexico, all the condiments they give you, they make the condiments look like drugs whenever you get food. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's south, all of like Latin America is kind of like that for some reason. Dope. Maybe the food <laughs> came first and then the drugs came after. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm like, dude, why do the condiments always look like someone's smuggling dope? dope speaking of smuggling dope this guy is smuggling so much bananas please welcome whoa i call me my homie my co-host your james comey Comey. your pocket comb (laughs) oh my god oh my god please welcome my homie, my dog. He is the man of the Mau Mau Hour. The Pascal Robert. 
clap, 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 clap. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings, Jason Miles. Peace and greetings, M. Toussaint. I don't know what you're talking about smuggling. I ain't smuggled Jack in my life. Smuggling information and hugs and love. <laughs> and hugs. Yep. Smuggling hugs. Word. He's smuggling, is He's smuggling bananas in his briefs. Oof. My dude, are you okay? A little left up. A little left up. Had a wild night. Had a wild night? Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Something about him drinking tea? (laughs) Yeah. That that, that Chinese tea Summer gave, it looks, it's frightening the shit out of me. Right. I had to message Kuba. I was like, Kuba, is tea supposed to do this? I don't know anything about fancy tea, and this tea did some shit that I don't. I didn't know tea was supposed to do. Did you eat it? (laughs) (laughs) What did you do? Leaves without water. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) as Cuba and Summer left, they're like, "You gave him the tea," and they look and they're like, "You gave him the heroin." It's like three Mm. Scooby Doo all rolled into one. Oh, think, speaking life. of Three's Company and Scooby-Doo, today we are bringing on my Red Zone co-host, uh, one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to stuff. <laughs> Not just sports, but stuff. <laughs> just stuff in general. Just stuff. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, please welcome Mac. What's up, everybody? Hello, it's Mac. Hey, how are you, Tucson? You doing all right? I'm doing good. Yeah. You're letting the sunshine in. I like it. Yeah, I mean, this is, I unfortunately am a, uh, trapped in our present cap, you know, capitalist hell, and I have to rent a room, and the only place to put a desk right in front of the window. And, mm-hmm. and Jason, smart at stuff. Just top lines nothing else follows just smart at stuff (laughs) just stuff (laughs) what does mac know uh kind of a lot of stuff yes it's just stuff he does stuff well he does stuff you know what does he do for a living Mm -hmm. a bunch of shit (laughs) (laughs) but he is a stuff finizer he knows a lot of (laughs) stuff finizer Stuff aficionado. Jason, did you eat the tea? Did you eat the tea? <laughs> For real, right? <laughs> you just see him ripping the bag open. And he's just like, <laughs> this, is came, okay, look, this is how I don't want to. This is how bad I am. So Summer's like, this is fancy tea, and I've been scared to open it, and I've been using it as like something you have, almost like a coffee table book that you've never read. So the T is where you can see it. So it's like if someone comes by, like, yeah, ha ha. <laughs> it's in this fancy gold box, right? And so I have a I have a house guest, and uh they were like, Oh, I usually like tea in the morning. I was like, Oh, I have this tea. And so I hadn't even opened the thing, right? Because I was just ha ha. And so I opened it, and and it's a series of bags, of course. 
but then inside of the little it's also like drugs it's like the little <laughs> summers gave everybody an eight ball of tea <laughs> I open up the T8 ball and fuck. And uh it's like a ball, like a hard ball. And it and I, I was like, what do you do with this? She goes, Oh, you're supposed to, you know, put it in and you pour the water on it. It's like, okay. So I did that, and then it just kind of opened, but it looked like a science fiction movie. Cool. And it was it's good. The tea is good. I drank some of it. It's very delicious. Someone said you ate catnip. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> That's a whole other series of questions. If you yeah. catnip, dude, right? We don't talk about catnip. We don't no. talk about it. We never talk about catnip. But now that I brought you on, um, before we even talk about the negrosity that is the upcoming Super Bowl. There's so much black shit to cover. I wanted to talk about um, Hugo Soto Martinez. Pascal, do you know Hugo Soto Martinez? It's like Hugo Chavez's abandoned nephew. I mean, what's that? <laughs> I don't think he's any candy Hugo Chavez. Um. But uh, in this past L.A. City Council election, there were a few DSA council members who were able to infiltrate the longstanding Democratic, Democratic Party-powered council. They ran on not only defunding the police, but abolishing it. But what happens when you claim that law enforcement is a, quote, armed militia occupying our neighborhoods? And then go on to ask said armed militia to make sure no one touches your Lexus. <laughs> this is why, folks, as a good whatever we areists, I drive an old raggedy Hyundai because no one's breaking into my Hyundai. That, that mansion, <clears throat> on the other yeah. hand. <laughs> Jason's over there rolling in bathrooms. He's got like air one, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh Pascal, you know who Dwayne Wiggins is? No. From Tony Tony Tony. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Um he he pretty we knew him relatively well when me and my ex were together and We'd actually, he'd actually invite us out to do little secret jam sessions and shit in Oakland. He's Tony from Tony, Tony, Tony. He's Tony. Yeah. 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 That's him. Not Tony. He's Tony. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote, he drove a raggedy ass van. Cause he was like, I never get, I never get pulled over. I never get fucked with. And it looks like one of them police vehicles. So I never get tickets. So I park in the red <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant that is fucking brilliant. multiple <laughs> platinum albums co-written more songs than you can count he helped put Destiny's Child back together when the, the original third girl left didn't he win a Grammy or two yeah <laughs> yeah he could afford you know he mm -hmm. could have Tesla he could have a, a, a low a low no ragged old van like yeah you know still 
See, he's he's a smart dude, so you don't buy Teslas because you have a thirty three point three percent chance of your car just spontaneously combusting. <laughs> so, <laughs> too. you know, it's it's best not to purchase a vehicle that's supposed to be like a conveyance for you rather than something that turns into an oven uh, just because it's not wired correctly. Or hit somebody randomly. Yeah. <laughs> I Not even yeah. just hit somebody. The auto driving feature's working. There's a kid in the street. <laughs> and then let's increase speed. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, I believe as the famous uh, quote goes, fuck them kids. Mm. <laughs> mm. But I wanted to play you guys a news clip of what happened. And L.A. is jumping all over this dude because, again, he ran on hard. And a lot of them ran on this. You know, we're going to abolish the police. We're going to defund the police. And uh, I got someone sent me this. I won't say who sent me this, but someone sent me this. And I honestly could not stop laughing. So I want I want to play this and then I have to hear you guys' take on this. Few things can remain secret, especially if they're controversial. We came here to District 13. This is the councilman's office. It's obviously closed now, but in the afternoon it was open. We tried to get some answers and initially it did not go well. Hi David, I'm with Fox 11. I'm Gina Silva. Uh, I'd just like to speak with you regarding the call to the LAPD. <laughs> David, I'd like to give you a chance to respond. David Mai, staff member of newly elected <laughs> City Council member Hugo Soto Martinez, has nothing to say to Fox 11 News. Why would you call the LAPD to protect your car? But LAPD Sergeant Jaretta Sandoz, vice president of the Los Angeles Police Protective League, has a lot to say. This is Mr. Defund the Police. The better yet is Mr. Abolish the Police. She's referring to Hugo Soto Martinez, who represents District 13 in Los Angeles, the councilman who supports and has identified himself as an abolitionist on the issue of policing. On Wednesday night, the LAPD received a call from Soto Martinez's office asking for, quote, extra patrols throughout the night for a parked white Lexus belonging to the council member because it broke down. <laughs> so much, much more to do than to go and do extra patrol on anyone's vehicle. His supporters could very well say he has a right, he's a citizen, he could call and ask for help. What do you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone can call and ask for help. However, when you are anti-police, abolish the police, we don't need the police then why are you calling for help? Reaction from people in District 13? I think anyone that wants a ball to police is like, it's ridiculous because when it goes down and something happens that's negative, they end up calling the police. Sounds like he was maybe abusing his connections and position of power to use that privilege to protect his property. I understand the concern, but yeah, that's not something that any average person would be able to do. Nick Barnes, the head of communications for Hugo Soto Martinez, issued the following statement. It's come to our attention that a deputy staffer had some contact with the LAPD regarding his personal vehicle. We are investigating this matter internally and will be taking appropriate action. Councilmember Soto Martinez is very upset as this does not reflect the values of transparency, responsible governance, and being accountable to the community that elected him. Isn't it hypocritical of you to call the LAPD since you want to defund the LAPD? 
Now, we did ask for an on-camera interview with <coughs> Mr. Soto Martinez. His <coughs> office chose to issue a statement instead. Of course, the offer still stands. Um, what's so funny is how tight that staffer's butt got when that camera got there. He just, can we talk to you? He just rolled up his window. <laughs> so basically, this is a city that has Donna Summer as the police chief. This would be what you Might as well have been Mariah Carey. She had a fan on with her hair. I told you. I told you that woman came away. Baby. Ooh, baby. She, said, she pushed nine niggas out the way to make sure she was going to be on camera and call him an asshole. She had to, she had to weave tight. I told you. I told you. She had a fan blowing her hair on the news. She had a fan. Listen, when you have your moment, I you guess, take right? It, all right, like that's just She's like, yeah, girl, this is it. I have made it. I couldn't stop laughing on so say, many levels. First of all, can we can we just admit that there's a lot of virtue signaling among self-proclaimed leftists and oh. socialists? And you just yell out the things that you feel you're supposed to yell out. Because apparently, when it really comes down to it, you know, defund the police unless them niggas is looking at my Lexus. <laughs> I just can't have these niggas looking at my Lexus. Unbelievable. They got thirsty eyes. <laughs> I just got my shit waxed. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if during this investigation that they're doing, it doesn't come out that it was actually, you know, Soto Martinez saying some shit like that, Jason, like, I know they're trying to get in there. I know it. You know, like Seven very I mean, large black dudes and one Latino that I know for sure is an El Salvadorian have walked by. Woo. Woo. Shout out to El Salvadorian. <laughs> And I think one angry Filipino as well is with them. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, they, dude, we've seen what the L.A. City Council is, right? Like, there's been dude. more negative shit to come out of that horrible group of people in the last two months, three months than, you know, like, it's just like nobody is good. There is no de there is a decent soul on the LA City Council, right? Like folks looking at my car. <laughs> like I wrote I wrote this whole thing and I did, you know, you write whenever you write something, Pascal, you know this. You don't know if it's gonna hit. Like you think the shit that's gonna hit hits, and then it's the things you you know, write randomly. Like I read about your Kanye Kanye West piece before you were on the show. Yeah, I remember that. You told me right. that you, you, you don't you don't know what's gonna hit. So I write this thing and it's called uh I didn't I didn't have a good title and I thought I'm gonna put Alfie on blast. <laughs> I thought Alfie would change the title and he didn't. So it's yeah. called uh is is the contemporary left a lifestyle brand? And uh, you know, there's some responses to it that were like soliloquies. 
<laughs> and yeah, I and exactly. I think, look, I walked away. I I I set down my devices and walked away and had a wonderful day and didn't look at at what people uh, had to say because I was like, I don't want to look at this, but. I was like, well, <laughs> I'm just going to respond with this video from now on. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, man. Like, you know, I've had my issues with DSA for a long time. Um, like, I was trying to get involved with the closest chapter to where I am, which is Charlotte. Mm. You know, and then we had that horrible DSA conference in Charlotte that just degenerated into, honestly, minging. You know, that's the only word I could use to describe it. Like, you know, if like you're audio sensitive, you know, we're going to ask people not to say anything. And, you know, what does audio sensitive mean? You don't like music? Like their their hearing is so sensitive that you couldn't raise your voice above a certain level, right? Like, like are they mutants from the X-Men or is it like a power? What is, dude, is it a thing? I I don't know, man. I'll, I'll just degenerate it into this, this ridiculousness, right? And then I had a negative interaction uh, because, you know, they have working groups and they had this veteran working group and, you know, the chapter wasn't very friendly uh, to uh, some of the ideas we were trying to do, which I said, essentially, there's a bunch of leftist veterans because, you know, we, many of us get jaded from our time in service and of course we, we want to do something good after we get out. So, like, why don't we reach out? And then, you know, the chapter, the chapter head was just like, well, I don't want any of you guys here anyway. Um mm-hmm. You know, like there's no reason for veterans to be there because you participated in imperialism and, you know, just wow. Oh my God. Wow. So, you know, when I look at DSA and especially how they like to tout their record in New York, right? You know, at the state and, you know, in the city, um, it's like, Mm -hmm. dude, you run Democrats, man. Like they're not even really Democratic socialists, they're just Democrats. Um, you know, so when I see, you know, dickheads like Soto Martinez and, you know, honestly, AOC and, and all the other knuckleheads that have a DSA card somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, in their house, they don't know where it's at, but they have you one. Leave me out of this, but yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous because it becomes this guy that, you know, like you said, ran on abolishing police. And when his Lexus dies, you know, he's calling the cops like, hey, man. Can you please run some extra patrols to just make sure my car doesn't get broken into? Right, like it's it's just kind of and you know uh, AOC walking down, you know, in that gown with you know tax the rich or whatever the fuck on yeah. their back, you know, it's just it's all it's all virtue signaling, very and performative. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's there's there's a performative nature to to leftism because I think it exists in a moment where individual branding is just the way of the world especially through social media and when you have figures like <clears throat> in AOC who's become AOC through individual branding right she gets elected and I had to do some research in my in my paper that I wrote and I didn't remember the exact number so I had to double check it and it was like 80% of the majority of her funding came from outside of her district. She got a very small amount from her district. And even the funds that she got from New York were coming from higher income uh, areas of the city. So I think like half of the money she raised in that initial race was coming from California. And that's because of the phenomenon 
of what people look at. There's a lot of hero worship. I think we still can't get over the messianic figure that will lead us to whatever paradise we want, be it a socialist one or just a utopia. And I think this is a real problem when it comes down to um, movement building and power within organizations. And here you have, and, and I don't, I don't know Hugo Soto Martinez. I, I don't know him personally. I don't really follow his politics. I just found the story interesting because there was such a push to get the established order <clears throat> out of LA, which is a, it's racial coalition politics is what LA had been for a long time. For a long time, there was no Latins on the city council. Now, they fought to get that. The city council had to fight to even take power back from the police chief. If, if people remember Pascal, probably remembers the Daryl Gates years when he was in power saying outlandish shit about, oh, why all these Negroes are dying in these chokeholds? Because these Negroes have different kinds of veins. Wasn't It wasn't <laughs> us. It was these vein-neck Negroes. You know, you know it... I, it one of the things that that really is frustrating for me is that you know DSA has really become in some segments particularly somewhat in Brooklyn and other larger municipalities a kind of resume builder mm. and, and for like downwardly mobile professional managerial class Democratic Party entryists who try to create a bona fides to say that they're not corporate Democrats. But at the same time, they're not really creating any kind of politics that organizes working class people around any kind of serious, serious issues. There's no movement building coming out of this organization on a national level. Though, I mean, you know, I, you know, I joined DSA, I also joined Black Alliance for Peace. And I'm not gonna say that they don't, you know, do good political education campaigns, they try to organize around certain issues. But what's indicative about this video and about DSA is that it's rooted so much in Democratic Party entryism that the focus on organizing is really diminished. And I think part of the problem I have, particularly with the online left and the, the type of left that Jason is referring to as a lifestyle brand, is that there's really two types. You have the ones that just will circle around various podcasts and online content creators talking about either the Democratic Party or people who talk about the Democratic Party, or you have those who choose various left sects as if there is some kind of club, fraternity, or secret society. Like, you know, I'm a, you know, Hoaxis, Maoist, uh, you know, anarchist, and I'm cool because of that. And none of it is about, none of it is based on changing the material conditions of the majority of people in America who are working class or working poor or proletariat or lumber proletariat. And that has become divorced from the focus. Largely, I think part of the problem is because so much of this is online. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tucson, I know you. I mean, that, and that, isn't that no, the okay. thing though, Pascal? It's like, um, you know, like I, me trying, like I'm trying to get a, a bigger mutual aid group started where I live and just getting online, you know, you see people like constantly, you know, on Twitter where that's the only social media I have, you know, people are like trying to, you know, help, help your buddy out, you know, help your, your fellow worker out. And it's like, Hey man, you want to come like pass out aid? And they're like, nah, dude, I'm good. 
Yeah, you know, and last time I did, there were three of us, you know, like literally oh. unloading like a rider truck to try and get, you know, uh, non-perishable food items, fresh food items, and just hygiene items to people uh, before, you know, the city where I live essentially broke up the encampment uh, and chased them off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's just like, uh, you know, you're absolutely right, Pascal, they've detached kind of like the, the verbiage and the, the rhetoric away from the actual deeds of, you know, improving the material conditions on the ground where you live. No one is requiring you to actually be about it. You can just say it. Uh, I'm in the DSA. Um, we're ostensibly good people who want good things. That's it. Mm. Doesn't it doesn't have to go further than that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, but like I said, DSA is just such a weird creature to me because it it kind of went from being pretty small to pretty big really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, and then rather than really leaning into the, de the you know, the decentralized, uh, let local chapters deal with local issues, you had the national level really start kind of finger fucking every chapter's Kool-Aid, you know? So, um, mm. it made no sense to me for them to do that. Just keep it decentralized and keep it local. There's absolutely no reason for the head of the national chapter of the DSA to be involved in what's going on in poughkeepsie new york you know like it just it makes no sense don't don't pass down mandates uh because you know like jason and i talked before what works in cleveland isn't going to work in charlotte what works in charlotte is not going to work in el paso you know like it's it's everything has to be localized um and it seems like dsa has just kind of missed the boat on that dsa used to be badass it used to be like you said the word, you said DSA, and you thought ninjas were going to jump through the window. <laughs> it used to be like, oh, don't don't even say their name. And and you see these people now, and you're like, really? I'm so mad. Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's not going to do anything. And it's not even just Jeff. It's Jeff that's spelled G-E. <laughs> o F F, you know, like it's got the yep. really silly spelling. Geoff just wants to go to Whole Foods and have no problems. He's not that concerned with other people. God damn, you called him Geoff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. God. It's not Jeff. It's Geoff. God, get it right. Fuck is wrong with you? You're such oh, a lib. Man. I mean, such dude. a lib. <laughs> <laughs> you have your latte with almond milk. I can't believe you said, you said DSA. You thought ninjas was going to jump through the window. <laughs> you be so serious. Can't even say their names, man. It's Geoff. Holy lips pronounce it, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. Who are you, my, you are you, my dad? I mean, all of this goes to my larger point that I've never been one to even argue that we have a left. I think we just have leftists. Uh, and I think that the bottom line is that the large reality is that most of the people we have who are leftists 
became leftists within the last 15 years, largely because of Occupy and Bernie Sanders. And they became leftists in a digital space in which the left was weaker even before they became about. And because they really was were the, the, the only iteration of a left politics that we've had in the last 50 plus years, I think a lot of them started to drink a lot of Kool-Aid. I remember when, you know, I remember when I was seeing people coming out of uh, not only just DSA, but, you know, various kind of democratic socialist spaces talking about, yeah, we're going to take over the Democratic Party and we're going to we're going to assume state power. And we I mean, this is a term you used to hear all the time. I'm, Michael Brooks used to say that shit is like, wait, we're going to get into state power. And, and, you know, I remember talking to, you know, uh, uh, Bruce Dixon and Glenn, right? they were like, State power through the Democratic Party. These people think they're going to jump in, and the Democratic Party is going to just surrender to them. And the thing was funny is that I was like, why do these kids who are, you know, most of them are barely thirty years old, think that somehow that the Democratic Party, which is an institutional mechanism that responds to the needs of capital very effectively, that has its own relationships with power centers, which is literally the left flank of capital of the United States, going to collapse and coalesce to a bunch of kids who've been socialists for less than five years. These people are delusional, but they really believe they're like, no, you know, we, you know, we're, we're out here trying to assume state power. And I was like, man, get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. And you can, get whole, you, you can get anything you want right now, right? You can get anything you want when you want it. And and I I don't like the term cancel culture because I think it misses the point. It's complained to the manager culture. And it does work for a lot of people. You can get uh, a professor fired. You can get a so worker fired from Starbucks. Karen culture? I don't like to say Karen because I see more dudes complain to the manager than I ever <laughs> see women. Carl, I don't, culture. I don't. You never hear me say Karen because I don't. I don't. I know what it means. Trust me. Like I said, you know, watch this show before. I lived with a white family for years. <laughs> You know, we definitely all used that wonderful woman to complain to the manager. Uh, <laughs> we don't like, we're like, hey, let's get, hey, Joel, let's get your mom to go fucking complain. Because <laughs> she will do it. She used to get so mad if we felt wronged in any Aww. way. She would be like, I'm going to go. Okay, well, fucking. You call this silverware? <laughs> like like don't let don't let someone be rude to her black son Ooh-wee. if you want to see a complaint to the manager take that she's feeling all kinds of loved that oh yeah and they call him mr tibbs <laughs> <laughs> But it's that's really what it is. It's complained in the manager culture. They don't don't yeah. call it cancel because everyone complains. They go, that guy's and you, and you know what? It's more complaining to the manager. You especially see it around like people like Chappelle or, or Joe Rogan. Like, why are they still have a job? Well, because you just complain to the manager, and the manager doesn't care every time, right? Sometimes the management just doesn't. Netflix is making too much money. The 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 person I'm, I'm talking to. Uh, said that they just saw Chappelle was performing in uh, in their area in Northern California, and they said that the line was down the street and around the corner to get into oh, a yeah. big-ass arena. So the manager just doesn't care. 
Yeah, I mean, look at Spotify. You know, like they offered that huge deal to Rogan, but he brings in how how many listeners every episode? Like, Some like 100, 150 million something. It's like stupid. Yeah. You know, it's stupid number. Stupid yeah. number. And you really think complaining to the man? Look, that's all it is. It's not about canceling anyone. It's about complaining to the manager. And sometimes the manager listens. When you complain to the manager that the barista was rude and called you Jeff instead of Geoff. You know, that guy may lose his job. He may lose his yeah. job. I mean, I got I got written up yes two days ago, Jason, because this guy had like an eighty-five dollar order. He left a one dollar tip. Oof. Oh after I gave him his food, I ran back to my car and grabbed the dollar and I walked back and like, hey man, it's obvious you need this more than I do. So then I just kind of threw by the time I got back to the store, I had like the write-up sheet just waiting on me. <laughs> That's bold. That's bold. I, I just it was one of those nights where I I had just had it. I wasn't like Michael Douglas falling down level of angry, you know, but <laughs> I, I I was I was I was creeping up that way, right? I was getting ready to walk into a really bad burger joint and just to ask where breakfast was, but it's 9 p.m. You know, like just like he did in the movie. Right. <laughs> he went to cookout. Um, yeah. <laughs> he walked into the cookout. He's laughing because he did. He walked into cookout. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing. Like, can you imagine? It, the thing is, like, you know, cookout's a drive through thing, but I just, like, walk into the building, and I'm like, where's breakfast? <laughs> Pascal, um, do you know cookout? Have you been in North Carolina? I've been in North Carolina, but what is cook cookout? Is a, a specific restaurant? It's like a it's like a burger joint. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And it's like when you're drunk, it's perfect. Uh sober. Eh. But when you're drunk, yeah. uh, yes. They're like a hundred and nine milkshakes. Yeah. Wow. It's it's a it's a milkshake paradise. Not a place to go if you're lactose intolerant. No, no. It's definitely not. No, no, my brother. <laughs> no. Or it is if you're willing to, you know, roll the dice a bit on yourself. You roll a lot more. Yeah, that was one of my and that was one of my old roommates. He was just like, Sorry. I love milkshakes, dude. And I'm like, you are lactose intolerant. He's like, I can deal with it. And then we all paid for it, you know, like oh well. <laughs> and he's had... like totally worth it, dude. <laughs> I think I think we were playing a show in Charlotte. Had to been Charlotte. It wasn't Raleigh, it was Charlotte. And the promoter ended up taking us to a cookout. He's like, You don't, y'all never been to cookout? We're like, we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And he took us to cookout. And I was just, I remember spending like 15 minutes reading the damn milkshake menu. It's like, wait, I can I can make combinations out of all this. I was like the country cousin in the big city. The shakes out there this big. <laughs> And the thing is, it's like you, you can't even drink the milkshake for the first like 15 minutes. You have to eat it because it's so you gotta let like the ice cream out a little that. bit. That's the best. Cause you don't want them to put milk in it, right? <laughs> yeah. Just let it yeah, melt and have that be, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, eat some dry ass hamburger. Oh god, dude. It, sometimes it's, they're so bad. It's like chewing on sandpaper. But like I said, when you're drunk, you're just like, oh my god, this burger is amazing. <laughs> Soggy fry ass place. Yep. Good and the thing is, 
the thing is you drive past it during the day there's like one car 12 30 between 12 30 and 2 a.m it's a club oh yeah right. it's a nightclub they have cops there's one of them on rayford road where cops have to direct traffic into it and out of because so many people are waiting in line and you want to defund the police you can't even get your milkshakes <laughs> He said we didn't need him. How's your milkshake now, nigga? <laughs> just call me Hugo Soto Martinez. Just, just rename me right now. <laughs> I need a cop to watch my milkshake. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, sir. I have nobody directing traffic into the cookout. So I can go get my milkshake at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> this is what I pay taxes for. <laughs> Protect and serve, bitch. <laughs> right? You need to find a way to make that black woman. And he's like, "No, you didn't." We need to find a way to like, have her appear. She'd be happy to do it live. Oh he said, "Went to Donna's summer." <laughs> oh, man. I, mean, I, think, I think that's an interesting I, I found that very interesting because we know LAPD and uh, the county sheriff's department is notoriously racist yeah. and literally the vice president of the cop union black woman yeah like whoever whoever the head is must have had one of his one of their degrees had to have been in like public relations or mass communications because he's like you know what make us look really good mac Mac, black lady mac pascal and tucson in the great words of chris rock fee fi fo figure boy i hate a nigga (laughs) okay okay i was gonna to answer your question mac i was gonna say that's an interesting utility of the supposed left concept of intersectionality is that when you have Mm -hmm. you know you know, black women entering the police force, you know, the Pentagon and, you know, you know, black men becoming like, you know, uh, the jo- chairman of the George Chief of Chess staff, guy Lloyd Austin, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful rainbow coalition of mercenaries who are running, you know, the Death Star for, at the behest of capital, while, you know, the, the, you know, the bottom 90% are, you know, fighting for crumbs and crackers. Yeah, I mean, and that—that's the thing. I, I was in for 16 years, and I joined in '99, right? Um, and when I like, I was in the infantry, notoriously pasty white, notoriously very racist, and you know, your higher ups, you know, like battalion, brigade level command, you didn't see black men like leading those formations. Uh, around 2010, you kind of saw things start changing a lot, right? Um, I think in 2012, you saw the highest number of landers and infantry units. Um, you know, you started seeing them in charge of like cavalry and artillery units as well. Uh, because in the artillery, most of your enlisted people, they were black men, like traditionally speaking, right? But the command teams were all white dudes, you know? So like you had this very, very odd kind of, breakdown um and then with the uh dropping the the prohibition of women serving in combat units like the army really made or the military especially or the military overall the army especially 
uh, made a big push to sit to to show like the formations uh where we have you know a woman who's a platoon leader in an infantry unit um you know look there's a gay woman that we just named as the head of medical command you know there's a a black man that just became you know a division commander uh you know so like it's it's it really is it's 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 the establishment really trying to to show how diverse and inclusive it is so they can continue to uh essentially expand the poverty draft and and feed our young people into the you know meat grinders of our stupid bullshit war. Well, you know what's fascinating as well about that as well, Mac, is that as we have this diversity, equity, and inclusion drive amongst the functionaries and professional managerial class, hot you know, quizlings, whether they be police chiefs, generals, or so forth, the actual rate in which economic inequality is growing between the 1% and the bottom 99% is exacerbating. So what we're seeing is that we're having a more ethnically, racially, gender, and sexually orientation diverse ruling class, or at least the actual uh, functionaries of the ruling class, while the economic inequality and precarity of the body, not bottom 99% is growing and growing and growing. So you get people to cheerlead and applaud Kamala Harris. You get people to cheerlead and applaud Lori Lightfoot. You get people to cheerlead and applaud all these, the rising increase of, you know, the new black, there's a new whole phalanx of black mayors and municipalities all over the country. And, and what's end up happening is that it deludes people to the reality that like, yo, man, people actually have less money and making less money over time. But now we just see more brown and black faces in high places. And it's a very effective tool for the left flank of capital to keep people satiated with the status quo. Yeah, oh, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of like the bread and circuses thing, you know, like, look, we're 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 giving you what you wanted. You wanted to be more diverse as they're over here, like wiping their ass with hundred dollar bills while, you know, I'm barely clearing thirty thousand dollars in a year, you know, so like, like it's frustrating um, to see that the things that, you know, people have fought for, you know, to, you know, our society to become more diverse and more inclusive. And, you know, and they're essentially, I guess, you know, kind of putting their a veneer of that, all those things that those great people, you know, fought to work for to make sure that everybody had uh, access to, you know, the American dream, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, these, these, the, you know, capital and the people in charge, you know, they just sit there and they're like, you know, they, they look, we did it. We, we've got a black person here and we've got a Hispanic person here. And look, we have an indigenous person in charge of the Department of the Interior. Look what we found. We're great. We're awesome. <laughs> you know, you said like, they were all gone. Uh uh uh. I mean, you got have you guys heard that uh Hakeem Jeffries and uh what's the name of the, the, the Indian brother that's uh in that's in uh the Congress that's supposed to be progressive? What's the Rokana? Rokana. 
that both of them joined with the Republicans mm -hmm. to vote that socialism, to state that socialism was like a menace to the world, to the globe, or some kind of initiative oh, yeah. that the Republicans came about. And I'm like, you know, this is this is really incredible, man. It's just that that we have like the head of the Democrats in the House with a guy who's supposed to be a progressive Democrat coming out and says, like, oh. You know, socialism is a plague. It must be fought by all by all stretches in the imagination. And I'm like, you know, how reactionary is the body politic in our country that now any type of redistributive agenda is considered to be some kind of you know anathema to the people who are in 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 uh, in, in the power politics? It's a, it's a sad reality, man. And oftentimes, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to lie. Over the last couple of days, I've really asked, like, you know, where is the light at the end of the tunnel with this, man? Because the way I see politics mm -hmm. in this country going is so utterly, utterly right-wing. And I don't mean right-wing in the traditional conservative sense. This is any, any type of discourse around redistribution of wealth, any type of discourse. And I'm not talking about hammer and sickle Marxist-Leninism. I'm talking about even milk toast as social democracy. Yes, people Which would like, go oh. a long way. A little social, we always say this, a little social democracy would go so long in the States. I think the big problem is the fact that we, you know, I keep talking about this. We live in a moment of extreme atomization and individualism. So people are kind of waiting for the right person to come in and save the day. And I don't know. I, I, I maybe the board was wrong in the society of the spectacle, where it is the spectacle that's going <clears> to <throat> cause people to to push back against capital. I think people just become more part of the spectacle, and and I I get depressed too. I mean, I was having dinner last night, and we we're having a conversation, and my date looked over and goes, "This is really depressing." I was like, "Damn." Yeah. <laughs> That wasn't the answer I was hoping you'd say, but it, it sometimes it is when you look at, oh, okay, well, we're going to vote these people in office and we'll have some sort of political power. But what does it mean when you don't really have the apparatus to hold political power to account? What does it mean when the, um, the people that are in the small apparatus are kind of just angry liberals at best and maybe even passive libertarians? Um, what does it mean when socialism in the American context is probably more like effective altruism with the hammer and the sickle? Um, when you're asking for any sort of reforms, what is that really going to look like? Is it just going to look like more charity? You know, we did a whole show on the unhoused on Tuesday. And no one likes to hear what Randy has to say sometimes about, well, you know, there's a reason why we can't get the proper funding while well, we've been dealing with the same problem. He's been doing this for 40 years, yeah. 40 years with the same problems. This is, this is, this is not to cut you off, Jason. This is Rokana, right? Mm -hmm. This is his Twitter bio, a new economic patriotism. Let's make it here, invent it, produce it and buy it in America. Trade surplus again, pro worker and family dignity in a digital age. So he takes that vote. He says, we need to frame progressive polities as pro-growth and pro-economic development the way FDR did or Bismarck did in Germany. 
It's how we will build a majority governing coalition for these common sense policies. Right. So he had a nice little conversation with some goofy kid. <laughs> and he and he was he was uh engaged by people like, hey, if you're progressive, how are you gonna sit there and vote yes that socialism is bad when you espouse so many socialist policies? You know, like middle Medicare for all is his big one, right? He said, did you see my floor speech? It's on my official Twitter account. The fact that I co-chaired the Sanders campaign shows I want to build a broad coalition, admire the grassroots mobilization needed, but want to frame it as a progressive slash moral capitalism as FDR. Moral capitalism. But can we all agree on the screen that Medicare for all is not socialism? No, it's not because it maintains private insurance companies. Yeah. So we can all agree on that. Toussaint, do you? It maintains concur? the structure of the government as well. So we can all agree that yelling out Medicare for all doesn't mean you're a socialist. It means that. I mean, it's a that. major, major plus. Yes. But it's yeah. not, it doesn't abolish the, the actual private pro-capitalist insurance companies by the stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I'm with you, Pascal. Until that's until you immediately cut out that that you know horrible you know uh, uh, group of companies and and the the assholes who support it. Um, mm. Like we can't, we'll never have uh, you know truly beneficial health care for everyone. I mean, it's a major step. I think that I don't think that we should fight it. I think we should support it without a doubt. I mean, it would definitely transform the quality of life of millions of Americans and give them access to health care. And I mean, I think that we should say what we want. We want socialized health care. I don't think we should say Medicare for all. I think we should say we want socialized health care. We want state-sponsored health care. It doesn't but, have the same ring and you can't uh, hashtag it. It doesn't look good on a t-shirt. Well, there's a variety of there's a variety of issues. Yeah, it's not also, cute when Bernie Sanders says it with his accent. Yeah. You know, there's a variety of reasons that we need socialized health care and we need it now. <laughs> yeah, not quite That's the same. All, dude. You can get behind a slogan. Right, right, without a doubt. But at the same point, man, it's just that Ro Khanna is an FDR Democrat in, in that he, at best he's a Keynesian in that he's, his best. argument is that I want to have pro-growth capitalism with a progressive social welfare state. And what Rokana doesn't realize is that what allowed the actual development of the Fordist economy under FDR was the economic total control over global international capitalism by the United States because you had a situation in which Europe and the rest of the world was still neutralized after World War II and were being bankrolled by you know us financing their rebuilding so there was no competition in terms of american economic american trade so as a result it allowed the capacity for our economy to, to be the one dominant force in the world where growth was inevitable after world war ii those times aren't coming back anymore particularly when we're competing with the chinese yeah i mean and especially since you know we have uh, and I mean, the, the royal we in this, you know, the United States um, has done such a, an amazing job of pitting, uh, you know, the haves against the have nots, um, you know, 
we're there you we're not going to ramp up this economy when you know you know workers and laborers are realizing we're worth more than you know what we're being paid you know we have this kind of like burgeoning labor movement that we don't i honestly don't know what's going to happen um but it's it's exciting to see finally um but then i look at what's happening in like britain and france and i'm like fuck man they shut the they've you know had the country shut down for yeah. six days uh and we do you think if they increase the age um, for retirement that anything would shut down i don't think a starbucks would shut down oh no <sighs> no i mean and it, dude it just it, that's been one of the big uh you know tenets of the the post-world war ii recovery kind of social contract between the government of france and the people was that hey man you, you know we have you know i, I don't know if it's you know, the, the social security equivalent mm -hmm. will be able to take care of you. So you don't have to work until you're mm -hmm. dead. So the minute, you know, that's, it's been a big thing since 40, you know, 45. And the minute, you know, Macron was like, Hey man, we're going to raise it two years. Everybody in France is like, no, everything down. And I love the one, like the, the union that works at their power stations started cutting mm -hmm. power off to all the politicians and not charging regular people for the, the power they're using. Damn. Love it. Do you see how little coverage the protests in Britain and France are getting in American mainstream media, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if they were burning shit down because somebody got shot by a cop, we'd see it 24-7. Oh, of course. Yep. And that's, and that's the question that's, I want to ask, right? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this today. I was reading an article and it was talking about how Netflix, how, like, 70% of Netflix's viewing audience is outside of the United States and Canada. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, when I when I see the perpetual access to entertainment we have with streaming, you know, and the internet, I was like, you know, isn't this the perfect mechanism to lull people into complacency? Like all this kind of like breads and circuses entertainment, like at the drop of your dime, like you can just stream, you can watch your podcast, you can you can do all this stuff on your computer. Like, do we have the capacity mm -hmm. to build the political consciousness amongst the masses so that they would even challenge policies like they're doing in France and Britain? Because I look at the way, I mean, Britain is a mess, man. Their, their rate of poverty in there has increased precipitously. But, you know, those those are countries that have always had a more informed body politic. And then mm -hmm. I think the United States, they also have, they have a much more active left. You know, they have a much more engaged history of leftism. They're not as reactionary politically. Do you think that Americans are so... Uh, satiated with the breads and circuses that they are divorced from the capacity to actually materially be organized to challenge the status quo. I asked the panel. I don't know if it's just the bread and circuses because I think people are tuned into media. Remember, the U.S. starts off with 24-hour news coverage in the early 80s, um, which is this is the crux of what I'm doing with this kayfabe full-length documentary. Is talking about it's not just Netflix; it's the way media is consumed, right? So if if I'm showing you constant racial strife, then that's what it's all about. I was talking to a woman from 
the country of Suriname. And she said something really interesting to me. She said, you Americans sure do love slavery, but your slavery. So much so that you'll do anything to keep from talking about class. This, you know, she was referring to like the 1619 that keeps getting, you know, brought out over and over yeah. again. So I think it's just the way we consume news on the basis of good guys and bad guys. And it, it has to be super easy to decipher who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. And when you talk about good guys and bad guys, then you always will have a hero, be it Bernie Sanders, AOC, Donald Trump. You know, uh, Joe Manchin can be a villain for you. And this just gets regurgitated because we exist in a world as well where no one's reporting any news on here. They're watching the news and then critiquing it for you. And sometimes that critique is just based off that race bias rhetoric. Oh, look what this right winger said today. He's so racist, blah, 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 blah. And we never really get down to like the power of people and the power of movements and what has always helped cause any sort of political change in America in the last 200 years. All of that gets thrown out of the window and it's just good guys and bad guys and the drama, the emotional drama. So when we talk about police, for example, um, there's a great four-part documentary on Netflix about the serial killer, the Night Stalker, which actually went in-depth into something that I didn't know that he did was molest like 40 or 50 children violently. And it talked about how the district attorney decided not to charge him for that because they already had him on all the murders and they didn't want to bring 50 kids that were under eight years old on the stand multiple times, right? But also in that documentary, they talk about how the only way he was caught was because the civil rights of his cousin was violated. A cop admitted to beating up his cousin. And they felt very comfortable putting that in. I watched that with the person that worked in the legal field and we rewound it like, hold on, the dude just say he beat up this dude to find this other guy? That kind of gets glossed over. And it's never part of the story. The same people that arrested and charged the Central Park Five, which becomes a huge story through the lens of Ava DuVernay, a year before they arrested the Central Park preppy murderer doing the exact same things they did to those black kids. The exact same. No lawyer, we're going to question you till you admit. He did do it. They were heroes. We don't talk about how law enforcement functions to violate civil rights in these instances and ask a different question. Do we feel comfortable having civil rights violated because these people will do anything to solve a case? Just because it works one time doesn't mean it works every time. That's a whole different conversation. It's not a glorification of crack police work because, again, it was citizens that caught the Night Stalker, if you remember. A bunch of people beat him up in L.A. And he ran to the police. Oh. Wasn't crack police work 
the cops that they inv- that that he follow didn't find him. But that doesn't become the story. So I think I think it's the way we ingest media, the narratives that are drawn that have to be emotional because it has to be profitable. News was not profitable. News was not national. You know? So now post Obama, post the 90s with the blow up of of talk shows replacing like soap operas. It's just drama. It's just internet personalities on the news playing the hits for the viewing audience. And if that's all you want, it's kind of all you know. So maybe it is all you want. And and, and the, the icing on top to me, Pascal, is the inst- instant streaming. Because you can also get instant Jason and Pascal, right? <laughs> like you know uh bertrand cooper asked on twitter today and, and your best friend uh doug henwood responded to him pascal he asked the question why is everybody getting mad about ron DeSantis wanting to kill this academic program because I remember in 2012, everybody hated the academy. There was people on the left talking about the academy was racist, it was homophobic, it was sexist, it was transphobic, and nothing good could come out of the academy. And now all of a sudden, we're trying to protect the academy. And uh, he started a very interesting <laughs> conversation. I don't. I'd love to hear uh, what you have to say about something like that. Oh, because the evil, the evil racist Republicans are on the attack. So therefore, we have to protect this, the sacrosanct institution that, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's like, you know, cat and dog, you know, it's just like, you know, the bad guys are under attack and everything, you know, so therefore we must uh, rise to the, to the protection of these the sacred institutions. But not that I, I, I am remotely in favor of the, the nonsensical behavior that Ron DeSantis is demonstrating. But at the same time, man, it's just that uh, we're really in a position where everything is a reaction. It's all reactive, and there's no kind of proactive attempt to create a politics. I feel like you know, the liberals and the left are just reactive, reacting to the to the right wing, and the right is just setting up ways to try to trigger people. And none none of this is addressing the material conditions of people, man. Yeah, I mean, just to I, I, Pascal, you know, you, you brought a lot up, but I also think what's what's holding us back from organizing like that is that we don't have a strong organized workforce anymore. Mm-mm. You know, we don't we don't have you know kind of like the built-in capability to work together to say, hey, you know, we're going on strike, and the other unions will support that strike with them. We don't have that here. What's the um, shop floor for Uber drivers? Yeah, you know, or, or I mean, even then, Jason, when you look at, you know, like right to work states, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, hey, man, I'm thinking, I think we should go on strike. Like we're being exploited. And you see the fucking manager just pop up over your cubicle. Like, what do you say? <laughs> you know, like, and then, you know, that's it. He doesn't have to have cause to fire you. He can just mm-hmm. fire you. And then you're out on your ass, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if we can, 
get this, you know, a more organized labor force. And that also goes back to the healthcare thing, because what do a lot of corporations do? They tie your healthcare to your job. So if we can detach that and, and kind of, you know, quit being hostages with you, you know, you're, you losing your healthcare, you know what, I'm a, you're going to be an exploited worker and you're going to shut up about it because you'll be mm -hmm. able to get your daughter's days, uh, daughter's braces put on and it won't come out of your mm -hmm. pocket. Right. Yep. And they use that as a gun that they put to your head. Mm -hmm. When we detach those things and have a more organized labor force, I think at that point we can do things like nationwide walkouts and nationwide strikes. But until that happens, like we're fought, you know, and I, and I hate saying that. Um, but those are two big, I think, catalysts that could really push us into something. Uh, back into the conversation we were having before, like, how do we get rid of the, the privatized healthcare system? Like, how do we get rid of the insurance companies? Like, how do we, how do, we do that? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just like, it's, it, it's, it's hard to have any kind of optimism, right? Uh, as a left. Then you see what a, a lot of people are doing at a much smaller level in their communities, try, you know, doing what they can. And, and it kind of keeps me going. You know, it gives me hope. That, yeah, that, that's know. how I feel. You know, we can't we can't fall victim to the the sin of nihilism, and uh, because as leftists, we have to have some sort of hope and vision, even utopian vision for the future. Speaking of utopia, Toussaint, I know it is getting late for you, and uh, you had something you were supposed to do today. I'm on assignment. You're reporting a story, correct? I'm reporting a story. I am ace reporter April O'Neill in the yellow jumpsuit. <laughs> and I'm working on a story. But she had to go to like a breakdancing competition or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story. She's reporting from the breakdancing competition. Exactly. Uh, Dude, that better be on the Patreon, Jason. The, the video of the M just like breakdancing on a broken down cardboard box in her yellow jumpsuit. That's right. <laughs> Popping and locking. That's right. Toussaint, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And being a part of our sausage party. So you are free to go now. You have oh. done your due diligence. Thank you. And you get all of the things that you were promised in the off-air meeting about negotiations. So excellent. Oh. So now you're gonna have your conversation about shooting hoopies. Shooting hoopies? We're talking about football. Shooting. Talking about football. Different kind you of ball. Soccer. Mean soccer. I'm sorry. What was that? You mean soccer? No, we mean the real football, right? Ooh. Right. Yeah. Right. America. Um, no. <laughs> I, I am a fan of both American football or gridiron football, as it's called in a lot of places, and football. So I enjoy both sports. I like that gridiron football. That's good. Tucson said nothing dries her up more than thinking about football. Don't want to There's nothing it. more non-appealing than a bunch of dudes that don't play football talking about football. I just love
Lost my shit with Mac. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> no, oh, fucking face hurts so much. <laughs> oh. And with that. <laughs> Someone says deserves a slap. I wish you would have heard the <laughs> off-air conversation. <laughs> so, MT, uh, thank yes. you very much for joining us. And you get all again. You get all the things you were promised. Thank you, sir. I appreciate and, it. Uh, and I have, and, and I have to smile as it happens on screen. Hey, that. <laughs> I'm just going to go. How about that? All right. Enjoy your Christmas talk. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, my God. So what we really wanted to talk about, which was not defunding the police while asking them to watch your Lexus because there's niggas out there eyeing your shit. Can y'all watch my car? I got 24s on this bitch. Yeah, he 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 spent it all on the tires and rims, but he couldn't keep it running. So what's that tell you about like, his priorities? Like, his, I got a 2008 SC400 Lexus <laughs> with 185,000 miles, and I just can't have these niggas break in. I just put the screens in the back. Oh somebody, Pascal, somebody posted on Instagram. <laughs> it said, it's that time of year where one nigga's going to buy a 2008 BMW with 200,000 miles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's actually, that you could actually say the same thing about soldiers. Uh, and not, even just, <laughs> not even just the Beamer, but like the big super light. Uh, oh. So, you know, like, they, like they would go, I'd see him show up with this Jeep, you know, just huge lift kit, giant tires, stupid paint job. And I'm, hey, man, where'd you get that? Oh, I got it this weekend, Sergeant. How much you paying for that, bud? Oh, it's just like 900 a month. It's <laughs> a stupid ass number. <laughs> yeah, you just... make $1,400 a month. My mom pays it, so I'm good. <laughs> I'm just like oh, Jesus God. Christ. <laughs> and it's repoed next week. So like when oh dude, no, I I've I've had I've taken kids because in North Carolina you have 48 hours to return a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I will take them back to the dealership and I'm like, okay, someday when you make enough money and you actually have credit, you can get this nice lifted Jeep so everybody knows how small your penis is, right? <laughs> but for now, you're gonna take the money you got back. You know that the, the two thousand dollars that you put down, and you're going to go get that Toyota Tercel, yeah. which will be great for you for what you need yeah. right now. Um, and your mother will appreciate you having, you know, an insurance payment of thirteen dollars. You know, but I just they don't want to hear that. No, yeah. no one wants to hear that. No okay. one wants to hear that. No, you, you know what's so funny? They don't watch the show, so I'll say this. So my daughter's boyfriend. A few years back, came to me. He's like, "Pops, I want to buy this car." And I saw it. It's a it's a Mercedes. 
And I was like, what years? He's like, it's a 2000. I was like, oh, really? And I'm, I'm just listening, right? Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's got and it's got this on it. Oh, it's got mm-hmm. 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 And he's very excited about this purchase. I was like, mm-hmm. He's like, I, I saved my money. I'm going to all cash. I'm not making no payments. No payments. Mm-hmm. 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 I said, look, man, when I was your age, I was making $250,000 a year. And I bought a Range Rover in cash because I wanted to buy a Range Rover in cash. And that car was in the shop more than it was on the road. But it didn't matter. Because I had a Range Rover that you paid for, and, and it was that I paid for, and I could tell you, Nikki, making payments. I ain't making no payments, but it ended up costing me so much money, and I was like, I can't tell you what to do with your life and your money, and everyone needs a learned lesson, but I wouldn't do it, but I know you're gonna do it, but I wouldn't do it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm. did he go get it? He and, and you car. know, uh, came back one day. I was like, oh, what? where's the Mercedes? <laughs> and he's like, see, I didn't see. <laughs> I just like, it, I, I caution anybody now, especially considering where we are having issues um, mm-hmm. when you have especially considering so many of you know so many vehicle companies are using ome parts um like don't buy german cars right now because if shit breaks they're gonna tell you hey man it's gonna be like 19 can get that part in you know (laughs) it's it's just you can't tell a young person shit right when yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's just young people, Jason. It's just like dudes my age are like, man, I'm finally making good money. You know what I'm going to do? Buy a brand new Beamer. And I'm like, you're <laughs> a fucking idiot. You are a this, fucking you idiot. Pascal, back to your bread and circuses question. This is the shit that keeps you away from giving a fuck about people. Am I lying? Conspicuous consumption. Yeah. It makes you happy. But am or, I lying? No, I agree with you. I mean, let's not act like you haven't had one of those purchases in your life. Oh no! I mean, there was a time when I was doing, you know, making nice ends. You know, I had my own practice doing real estate uh, development and title work and all that stuff. You know, I, I definitely, I know what those kind of PMC aspirations are. I mean, I've never been. I'll be very honest though. Even at the height of my economic and financial, I've never been a materialistic person. It's just not my personality. So I wasn't like, oh, let me go get a Lexus and a Benz and a Beamer and whatnot. It's just not like my personality. But that doesn't mean that I don't I don't know what it's like to experience, you know, having that kind of comfort. But it's just, I'm not, it's not a materialistic person. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of grew into Turn that. Ring when you say that. Like Pascal, show the ring. <laughs> like, see now, now I'm at the point in my life where I think it's because I make far less than what I did in the military. Um, I spend to survive, you know, like food, gas, mm-hmm. and and I make sure my kids are taken care of. Um, but that also goes into like I'm. <laughs> 
like I, I might be made fun of, but I'm stockpiling seeds. Um, you know, uh, ammunition. Uh, I'm saving to get some plates for my plate carrier. It's like I'm expecting things to go. Are you a survivor? Are you no, survivor? no, I. I just one. I miss he's having just a garden. Poor. What he's saying, he's just poor and he can't go to the store. <laughs> so I gotta grow my food. So you gotta grow some tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, and the thing is, it, I, I I look at it more like, especially when you're when you're talking about growing your food, like it's it's a it's a means, you know, of of supporting like whatever I can get at the store, right? And and honestly, Pascal, I just with the way things are. Like if anything goes sideways, I will be prepared. Like when the thing happens, if it happens, Jason and I and, and Marcus have already talked about this. I know I'm only going to make it a few days into it. I'm old. I'm slow. Uh, you know, but at least for those three days, I'll be worth something uh, to whatever formation I fall in on. <laughs> but you do know how to use a gun. Uh, I was in the infantry for 16 years, so I'm I'm very well versed. That's why we're going to invite uh, Mac and Marcus down here to Mexico. Like, hey, guys, we got some room for you. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Ben. <laughs> Ben's like, like fair yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to get the kids out of here, and then we'll be good. We'll be good. Yeah, yeah, but- hey, hey, bring the kids. <laughs> We got a little play structure for him next door. It's fine. It's fine. It's totally setting fine. Up, setting up. Make a, sure you bring those bullets. Thank you. Yeah, I can do that. Um, man, if dude, we we should probably just jump into the, like the actual what we're gonna talk about because like I just pictured, <laughs> I just pictured Marcus in my head going on one of his going on one of his like diet on this on today. The fourth day of Black History Month, we finally got a Super Bowl <laughs> with two black quarterbacks. <laughs> There's so much black shit happening in the Super Bowl. So for people that don't know, this show is Pascal's idea. No, it's not. It is too. You were the one that told me there was two black people in the Super Bowl. I don't see color, so I didn't even notice that. <laughs> That's a very Rokana thing to say there, Jason. <laughs> I saw two able-bodied young men that are great at their craft <laughs> that lead their team with dignity and well-spokenness. Well, we have one half black player in the Super Bowl, and the other one is both black, right? Both They're both pretty black. light, though. I don't. I think this might be the lightest. Well, Super Bowl we've had so we got one Shamar Moore-looking Negro. Yeah. The Negro Bowl. It's <laughs> so black. They were like, so so was it Jalen Hurts is represented by a woman, actually, which is like, yeah. whoa. I know. I know. I and like, you're all sorority fraternity. Jalen Hurts is an Omega. She's a Delta. It's all like black fraternity sorority Negroes are all applauding for Jalen Hurts. Now, 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 the thing that's interesting about this guy Hurts, right, is that they have this montage that they put together on TikTok of all of these sports media figures saying that he would never cut the mustard. He's, you know, yeah. he that he was basically the black sheep of the quarterback. And, you know, it was like, oh, he'll never do it. And, you know, and, you know, he's kind of like laughing in their faces now, like he's taking them 
to the Super Bowl. What do you guys think was behind the uh, the uh, questioning of Hertz cutting the mustard? I mean, the, the the Eagles have been they had a great record for for months. I don't even understand why anyone was anyone was doubting his skills. He got benched in the championship game. Yeah, <laughs> I think I mean, people he lost, remember he that. lost his job to a freshman. That's what it was. Yeah, um, and that's. Yeah. And that's a big reason why people were like, well, if he can't beat out a freshman after having been in the system for two, uh, two years, then, you know, he's hit his ceiling. He's not going to develop anymore. Well, he transfers mm -hmm. to Oklahoma, goes play, goes plays for Lincoln Riley and actually did develop, you know, quite a bit more, a very different skill set than what he showed at Bama. Now going into the NFL, he's a smaller quarterback. He's, he's a much mm -hmm. smaller quarterback than a lot of his peers. So for a man that, you know, leans heavily into being able to move in the pocket, also break out and, and go off on runs, how is it, can he take the beating? You know, when you got a guy that's, you know, 6'4", 250, runs a 4'4", 40, uh, and he's slamming his whole body into you. Like, how is he going to deal with that? Um, I think what Philly did really build a system around him to highlight his strengths, um, you know, and he showed he was – ridiculously accurate this year um you know they really lean into the run game you know like the, i think the eagles set the nfl record for most rushing touchdowns in a season and the nfl started in 1923 uh and you got to think the nfl <laughs> didn't really like the passing game until the early 90s so there was a lot of running to be done you know um you know it's just it's a team built to highlight jalen hurts and it's great like i love that scouts missed on him but you know when you lose your job as like an upperclassman to a freshman in an, like jason said in a national championship mm -hmm. game at this point every draft nick is going to be like dude don't touch him you know they yeah. that's that's yeah yeah that's that's and 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 that's <sighs> and he didn't lose to a giant freshman he lost to a dude around the same size if not a little smaller that won that game I mean, yeah, I he think, was highly ineffective i think tua, tua ends up winning tua that was, game and tua I, he, he was like inch taller than jalen hurts i think was he even you know <laughs> yeah I, there's a there's a lot people like about jalen hurts because he takes i think he also takes um losing with a bit of humility that we haven't seen young people have in a while, because again, as I keep saying this, we're dealing with a new athlete that is brand first. So <clears throat> Jalen Hurts is trying to set himself up in a position where he can be like Cam, Cam Newton was before he uh, called that lady sweetheart and lost all those deals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> um, and, and so... Even Cam Newton, who really isn't a bad dude. I don't remember hearing about him beating on anybody and getting drunk and having fights. You live in North Carolina. Yeah, no, Everybody he, loved Cam Newton. Yeah, everybody loved – well, that's the thing with Panthers fans, and I've said this for years. Carolina Panthers fans are the fucking second-worst fans in the NFL. Uh, only next to Philly fans. Next to the Seahawks fans. Um, oh, interesting. I'm going to tell you right now, until Pete Carroll showed up, Nobody gave a shit about Seahawks except like diehards, right? Agreed. And now, now you've got like fifteen-year-old kids that are like, "I've been a Seahawks fan for twenty years," and it's like, <laughs> shut the fuck up and sit down, man. Um, 
you know, but Panthers, like they get the team in 93, you, they've got the jerseys, they go to, you know, they win seven games their first year, go to the NFC championship game their second year. So they get spoiled right off the jump, right? When George Seifert shows up there and he goes one in 15 with Chris Winky as mm. quarterback, Simpsons meme where he's like going into the Ivy. <laughs> right? If he's got a Panthers jersey on, he goes in and he comes out. It's either a Falcons or a Reds, you know, or yeah. well now Commanders jersey, right? And that's how Panthers fans are. Like the Panthers are winning, they're successful. They're like, yeah, you know, whatever the fucking saying is, like, uh, keep pounding or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, but when they start losing, they're like, nah, man, I've always. Atlanta, man, I rep ATL. And it's just like, dude, shut <laughs> up. Two weeks ago, you were in a fucking Panthers jersey. You know? <laughs> Cam Newton did Cam Newton sold a lot of merchandise and tickets yeah. for that franchise. And they definitely with the quickness, he said that shit one time. Done. All the Oikos money is gone. Yeah. I mean, and that that's the thing. Like they loved Cam until he didn't, yeah. right? Like when he got hurt and he stopped playing up to like that MVP caliber because he took yes. a beating. That guy took so many hits. Um, that's when they were coming with Cam. Let's get the next guy in. And then when they it took him a while to kind of, you know, uh, uh, release him, you know, you had Panthers fans just like burning Cam jerseys and shit. And I'm like, what the hell? Dude? Yeah, like he did something. Like he stole a computer in college. I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. You did coke. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it, mind <laughs> you. Shit. <laughs> like, like, why is that's what he's getting? Uh, I I look at Jalen Hurts and I look at um, what's the kid's name? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes, who has the best dad in all of football. <laughs> um, and I'm like, this is the future of athletics. These guys that don't say the wrong thing, they take losing with a great deal of humility. They have been training since the womb, high level mm -hmm. training since the womb. And they will play sports and have extremely successful post sports careers as being, you know, uh, black excellence. But they're also both legacy athletes, aren't they? Hurts, uh, Mahomes is Hurts. Did his dad play pro ball or Not any kind of ball? pro ball? But he was a prof I was an was he in different? I forgot what sport was he an athlete also. I I can't remember off the top of my head, Pascal. So. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes' so. dad was a major league baseball pitcher for fourteen years. Yeah. Um, right. You know. Yeah. And the thing is, like his dad kind of caught lightning like he was one of the people that was uh kind of took advantage in the late 80s and early 90s when they had a very uh, there was a big lack of left-handed pitching um because pat mahomes dad wasn't that great uh but he was a lefty so he stuck yeah. around the majors for 14 years or you know it was it was over a decade um <clears throat> but you know jason and i've talked about this before like mahomes was going to play you know, he, he was going to come out, you know, and, and be put into sports. Um, you know, he was really into baseball, but football really became a big thing for him in high school. Uh, but the problem was, you know, he didn't have a lot of tape out there and he ends up going to Texas Tech. You know, like 
this is a school where you can get your name out there for throwing a lot of yards. You're probably not getting drafted though. Mm-hmm. You know, um, look at the people that came before him, uh, former Arizona Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff there's Kingsbury. one. Um, <laughs> and you know, there, there was a, a Graham Harrell. There's another one. Oh, that's what I'm of. Graham Harrell also is a coach right now. Isn't he? I believe so. Yeah. You know, so like you, Texas tech was known like, yeah, this guy, you know, under Mike Leach, through for 11 million yards in one year. Um, so we got to, you know, <laughs> but they never, they never did anything, but like Mahomes, when you have that kind of athletic uh, pedigree that he has the name recognition, like the dude was just like, you know, Jason, you're absolutely right. He's very calm, you know, when it, and, and very reserved when it came to losing, he's calm and reserved on the sideline. He's calm and reserved for, uh, you know, when he's in the huddle, like these, you know, the, the epitome of what you want in your QB, right? Yeah. Like he can stay in the pocket. He can get out of it. He makes the throws. He makes throws that he shouldn't he yeah. makes, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, a wool, like fucking amazing quarterback. And he's only been in the league. What? Like five or six years. Four or five years. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, as, and as a Bronco fan, it's frustrating to watch him. You know, I, I hope he loses, but, uh, I think back to Pascal's earlier point about the bread and circuses, what I find fascinating about sports is you have these guys now that are not going to be soundbite machines. There's not one athlete in any sport that's a soundbite machine. Do people try to create narratives around cancers in the locker room and all this other shit? and make up arguments the best made up argument was when there was that clause in kyler murray's contract that i guarantee is in everyone's contract to like study so much film a week it was it was a whole about racism how dare they ask i was like you really think kyler murray a son of a high-end college quarterback that's been playing qb since the womb doesn't study fucking film like come on it's silly this is silly to think that this isn't just a standard uh, clause in a contract. These things are all cut and paste anyway. Yeah, for the most part. And it, but it's it's the creation of narratives because these guys are no longer – like, Pascal, you're old enough to remember there were players that were coked out of their minds, and they were going to say and do crazy shit. They hated certain broadcasters. Remember when uh, uh, Deion Sanders douses uh, Tim McCarver with a with a beer or champagne to piss him mm-hmm. off, or uh, a Ryan Leaf, you know, losing his shit in the in a post game uh, thing and playoffs. You're never gonna hear this anymore. Yeah, all this stuff is dead in the modern sport athlete because they're looking at the next level they're not going broke like they did before on a diet of cocaine and and buying nightclubs and chasing you know tail and the narratives are created by the pundits let me ask you a question do you think this is a consequence of the fact that a lot of the kids who are becoming elite players nowadays or second generation suburban players who are children of athletes who have capital that are basically not coming from struggling urban environments where people expect quote unquote antisocial behavior to be inculcated into these players. Do you think that's a factor? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and that's the thing. 
that's the thing, Jason and I, we've talked about this a lot mm -hmm. on a couple episodes mm -hmm. when you've got these young kids that are kind of in the pipeline and it goes back to that specialization, yes. you know, Pascal, because you got to think when all three of us went to school, like a kid played football in the fall, right? And it would bleed into basketball season and they maybe played or, you know, ran track or something in the spring, right? So you had a, you had athletes that had, you know, 50 million pins on their letter jet letterman's jacket. Like they, you know, they lettered in a lot of different sports. You don't see that really. And you go into the pipeline very young in one sport. And then if mom, because mom and dad have the money, this kid's not even just going to go play the sport. He's going to go to camps in the off season. And not, not, not only is this kid going to go to camps, um, we're going to line him up with a personal coach, mm -hmm. right? Outside of the coaching staff on the teams he's playing on. So this way he can get, or, you know, they can get, this athlete can get work in whenever they need to, you know, whenever they, they want to. And with some of these parents, um, you know, they, 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 they want to kind of ride their children's coattails. So they're with their coach quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have sports where it's a constant travel thing. And football is just now getting into that with the uh, seven on seven uh, leagues for high school kids, right. For uh, the more elite recruits that are going to be playing college ball, you know, but baseball you're on traveling teams, hockey, you're on traveling teams, basketball, you've got the AAU leagues, right? Like it's just, you're constant. This is what you do. Um, and you know, Steve brought up, that's the European model, but you know, you have to look at it, you know, in Europe, if you're an athlete, like you come up and you're in school, like with academies for, you know, you're essentially in the pipeline for a pro team, very young. We're starting to get to that point. Now, when you look at things mm -hmm. like IMG Academy in Florida, mm -hmm. um, and there's another one, and I can't remember uh, exactly what it's can't called. Name that one. Yeah. Um, you know, but we're, we're going to, I think we're going to see kind of that happen. Like we're going to turn to the European model. So, you know, it could maybe kids from underdeveloped economic areas. It might give them a chance to get the opportunity to go into these, you know, academies, if you will, you know, get their basic education and then their, their training to go be successful in their perspective sport. Right. But like, as it stands now, the way our system is set up, like you said, Pascal, you have to have money. You have to have money. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a reason, you know, uh, poor underserved areas, um, you know, they're, they're losing a lot of their sports teams. You know, where I graduated from high school, we essentially had eight girl sports and eight boys sports. And now it's mm -hmm. down to four boys sports and two girls sports because there's just no funding for it. Um, and they went, they turned to a pay to play model. So yep. like an already bad team that only had 38 players on it when I graduated, uh, at one point was like down to 30 kids <laughs> on their football team, uh, because you had to pay $120 every year, you know, well, my like, school. So I, I was with some friends from high school. We did the New York show. And we were joking about how we never had a full football team. You had to play both, both things. Cause people didn't give a shit. It was a little different where I went to high school, but I, I, I do. We talked about this before several times. The European model, I think is. It's, we're shifting to see that, and uh, I just I just think today's athlete is a lot different. So, this Super Bowl, in my opinion, is kind of a a show of what the future 
uh, is going to look like moving forward where there's we're back to a two week wait after the championship games, which means you have a week of press. It's the most boring week of press ever because there's no Marshawn Lynch out there. That is going to give you. I miss Marshawn Lynch. I miss he's him. He's not going to give you the sound. There's no more. What's the white guy from the Patriots that just re- retired with the Buccaneers? Gronkowski. Gronkowski. Yeah, Gronkowski. Gone. Gronkowski, yeah. Gone. All these things are gone. And you know what that means, Pascal? The news is way more exciting than football. You're going to get more interesting controversial sound bites on the news patrick mahomes isn't going to call jalen hurts a pussy i mean in, isn't but you that, know isn't... who might say that donald trump may call someone one desantis may <laughs> beat around the bush and talk about how he doesn't like black lesbians but <laughs> that's way more controversial than anything you're going to hear coming from press week in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, they literally read scripts now. You know, we're happy to be here. We worked really hard to be here. Uh, it was a whole team effort. Um, you know, what, what other, what other, uh, in a kid's game, how lucky you know, am I? To, yeah. You know? I'm truly blessed to be here. I, I'd like to thank God for, for, <laughs> And, then, and, and you got Kevin DeLeon choking out people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's, again, w- when you talk about, you know, the bread and circuses, it ain't sports the way it used to be. Maybe fans get all hyphy. That's fans. The players aren't giving you the material in any sport. Watch the news? That's a man... <laughs> Watching the news, regular cable news. I don't care if it's MSNBC or Fox. It's insane what cats are saying. Because they now have a microphone that they didn't have before and people's attention. And they're constantly playing to, uh, pandering to a, a bit of a fan base, if you will. Because there's there's not constituents as much as there's fandoms. Yeah. I mean, and that's the sad thing, like, and I have a journalism degree, is that real journalism is dead. You know, someone in chat said it's punditry, and that's exactly what it is. No one's, no one's doing the big stories uh, that that open, you know, that lead to, you know, no one's doing, no one's doing that. You know what I'm getting instead in a fucking business magazine? You're right. Workers need to decompress. They should do that on their commutes everybody needs to <laughs> and I'm like, I, I was like i have a journalism degree i want to write a real something real something with substance and you're getting paid to be a staff writer for bloomberg and that's what you got oh the, be- the best like, thing me. i read again it's the week of the super bowl this is the week where you're supposed to be hearing all the we're i guarantee a victory the best headline, and I sent this in our chat. I don't know if you read the article, Pascal. A wo- there was a mass firing at one of these tech companies. And when the woman fired everybody, the CEO, she quoted MLK. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Oh, dude, I saw that. 
I have a dream that y'all Negroes get better jobs. <laughs> I have a dream that y'all might want to leave because this is not looking good for you. I mean, and what kills, like, she she used some quote, Pascal, that, like, uh, was taken completely out of context where Dr. King was attacking, like, capitalism and, ha- and how it's attached to the poverty. Um, and she just, like, kind of, like, pulled this small section out of the quote and just sent it in that email and was like, Dr. King said, you know, and it's just like, what? Just remember, just remember. As you don't get a severance package and you got to get on Cobra in two weeks. Just remember. Just remember after uh, you left something at your desk and now your key card doesn't and you can't come back and get it. (laughs) (laughs) I may not get there with you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm not laughing at the plight of these people. That's fucking horrible. Yeah. But I think... I might have thrown a Molotov. Like that would have been the moment that I threw a Molotov at my job. Even if my job was at my home, I might have thrown a Molotov. Yeah. I mean, dude, I I had a buddy who was laid off, right? He was he was a he wasn't a programmer or an IT guy for Google, but he worked for Google, right? Mm-hmm. And his supervisor said it's with a heavy heart that I have to fire you, right? And so he gets the email in like his separate Gmail account, like his his personal one. His personal. Well, he goes to log he goes to log into work, like his work account already blocked out of everything. Um, like he's got shit at his office because he's like he was doing uh the the three days in the office and two days at home. So he like drives to campus to go get his shit. Can't get in the building. Mm-hmm. It won't let him in. And mm-hmm. he's just like, dude, I want my stuff, you know. <laughs> So they had to send security to go grab his shit and they just like dumped it in a box and they're like, here you go, bro. Yep. And I'm just like, dude, he really said it's with a heavy heart. And he's like, yeah, man. With a heavy, with heart. A heavy heart that you kick. That's like, rocks. that's right. You know, it's just like when you're like my, my mom and dad used to say, when I hit you, it hurts me. <laughs> it hurts you. Mainly because of your tough bone structure. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> But like, I'm feeling good about myself. I've just released all this built-up tension. There was traffic this morning, but man, it sure does hurt my soul when I think about how <laughs> fucked up you finna turn out. But yeah, man, like I just I look at shit like that. Like, you know what? Uh, it, we have such a, a just complete disconnect between like lifelong managers essentially and and the people put in those positions and how they look at everybody that that works below them right so mm-hmm. like you don't realize that we can all go to bloomberg and see well stock prices are down you're still mm-hmm. making a shit ton of money we can see what the ceo's bonus was mm-hmm. we can see that they've done stock buybacks in the last 3 years we can see all this I can I can Google it, right? <laughs> um, so how are you justifying layoffs at this level uh, when you're still generating insane profit? And the only thing I could really think of, honestly, it's a form of 
honestly, it's a form of, of breaking organized labor. Because when you look at the tech companies that did a lot of the layoffs, like a big chunk of it, they were companies where uh, bits and pieces of the big conglomeration were starting to talk about unionizing. Mm-hmm. So Google. how do we, how do we, yeah, yeah. Microsoft, yeah. same, you know, same thing. Um, you know, they're like, how can we, de- how do we nip this in the bud? Easy layoffs. Let's do that. Right. Like fucking X did layoffs and they cleared some stupid, insane number, uh, for revenue this year. And it, I'm talking profit. This is, this is after they pay all their bills and, and buy equipment and all that shit. Like it was like $52 billion or some nonsense. They did layoffs and then did a huge stock buyback. And I'm like, Janet Yellen, Janet Yellen already admitted that unemployment is a tool that they really want to use to discipline, discipline labor. Yeah. I mean, and, and what did the, what did the head of the, uh, uh, Biden's, you know, federal economic dude, what did he say when, you know, we're going to enter a recession? He's like, you know what? We need to get the uh, unemployment number up a little bit because too many Americans have too much money. And I was like, bitch, I'm poor. Where's my money? You know? <laughs> Back over here, got seeds. Back over here, hoarding seeds. You don't throw that apple core away. I'm about to replant that shit, man. You yeah. lost your damn mind. Bitch, that is compost. You bring it here right now. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Beating his kids over trying to throw shit. <laughs> I'm going to call Biden up and be like, your failed economic policies have me abusing my children. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to hear from like, me for a couple weeks, Jason. And I'm going to come out and I'm like, yeah, man, uh, I made a call to the White House. And then next thing I know, Secret Service is arresting me. I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you may or may not hear an echo <laughs> in the phone. <laughs> that does not mean someone is listening. But, you know, seriously, like, I, 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 find it, I find it fascinating that here we are, uh, Super Bowl week. And usually I'm excited, even if my team isn't playing, which they haven't played in almost 10 years now in the Super Bowl. And uh, the neighbors are talking about, you know, having a get together for the game and, you know, all that fun stuff you do. And um, I don't really think that many people give a shit. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, when we were going into the conference championships, right? You know, mm-hmm. we had the Niners and the Eagles. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. Kansas City and Cincy, right? The NFL is sitting there keeping their fingers crossed. They're like, okay, we want Cincinnati to win. Yes. Much smaller metro area, but who do they have? Joe Burrow, who everybody thinks is cool because he smokes cigars and locker rooms, which I don't know how they get away with considering mo- like almost all 50 states have like indoor smoking bands in public areas. And that's what a stadium is, but I digress. He's a rebel. He's a rebel. Yeah. You know, but he's got like, he always shows up to the stadium and then like fucking, you know, dripped out, you know, yeah. he's a handsome, handsome white dude. And on top mm-hmm. of that, he was this close to winning last year. Right. That would have mm-hmm. been a great story to, to wrap it up with. Right. Granted, you've got Pat, you know, Patrick Mahomes there and he's already won a Super Bowl and he's been to a couple others, you know, like he is very charismatic. But you know mm-hmm. what he also brings to the table? His shithead brother. 
who just won't get off social media and shut up, right? Like the NFL actually contacted Patrick Mahomes and are like, listen, tell your brother to shut up or you're going to get fined. Right? Damn. Like, knock it. Tell- well, he like cut TikTok off for like two months and then going to the conference championship game, he's back on it. Like, and showing his ass again. I can see, you know, how, you know, the NFL offices are sitting there like, okay, we want Cincinnati to win and we want San Francisco to win. Why do we want San Francisco to win? Much bigger metro area. Um, you know, we're going to have more eyeballs on the TV. A third string quarterback hasn't lost a game this season, right? Taking on the juggernaut that the Eagles have been all fucking year, right? And when both games ended, I guarantee you Goodell was just in his office like, fuck. You know? <laughs> Can we get a politician to call one of them a nigger? Yeah. You know, like, I just where's Donald know, Trump when what, you need him? But like, you know, we were Donald Trump about- right now would be perfect for the NFL. Oh my god, dude! Because he'd be like, "Oh, I'm not watching Nigga Bowl 2023." I'm not gonna watch that game. <laughs> uh, um, but like. You're, you know, you already said, Jason, they are not, they don't want, you know, or uh, Mahomes and Hertz are not going to do anything to embarrass themselves no. during no press week. No. They're just going to keep, they're going to give the boilerplate answers. Um, they're going to let you like take some pictures of them when they're like with their girlfriend or their wife. And they're going to do what they're supposed to do and just get ready for the game. Um, you know, like. Was sports more fun when you had like uh, Plunkett smoking on the sideline, you know, just in between, <laughs> you know, he just, he calls a timeout, runs to the sideline and he, he gets the kid over there. And he's like, come on, come on, come on. I only got him, like 30 seconds, dude. And he lights a cigarette in a huddle. He's just like, yeah, coach. Fred Dane on you know. the sideline smoking a cigarette. Yeah. yeah. You know, or, or Michael like, Jordan said when he was kid in the league, those dudes were drinking beer at halftime. Yeah. I mean, dude, what major league baseball <laughs> yeah, in like, the 80s. Yeah. Dudes are taking bumps and then fucking pounding beer in the dugout on national television. You know, like it's 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 a sea change in in behavior. But like, I like to think that was a little more fun. But now um, our politicians are taking bumps, <laughs> chucking beer. Porn said they have mad orgy parties too. So like they're. Someone's getting down in Washington. It is a different. The script has officially been flipped, and this is and this is what it is. You know, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, and and it'll probably be an entertaining game. But I guarantee, in that show, and, and this is regardless of what me and Ben do, you know, for a living, our neighbor's going to bring up something political. And I don't think that we've even happened last year. Um. It's it's a it's a very as as uh, as Camilo says it's a very curious time. <laughs> we live in a very curious time. Um, Pascal, yeah, what do you mean, have to, as, It really as, is. Uh, what do you what do you think, Pascal? No, I mean you know it's a really interesting point about because I'm looking at the media coverage about the the Super Bowl and it is kind of, it is much more tamed down than anything you've really seen before, and it doesn't strike me that too many people are excited about it. 
except I do realize that a lot of like professional managerial class black folk are very much into the whole two black quarterbacks during Black History Month. Well, I'm black, 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 you know, kind of yeah. vibe. I'm getting that. There's so much black shit going on. But and it's almost like a victory lap that the NFL is running. Like, look, you guys called us racist because of this Kaepernick fellow for so long. Would Kaepernick have two Negroids in the Super Bowl like us? Nope. You know, and uh, it's kind of making Kaepernick go away only in the minds of certain people that I think are still like really hangers on to his his cause. But uh, the NFL wants to get beyond Kaepernick and kneeling. Yeah. And this is the the win. After taking it on the chin the last two years with the Deshaun Watson thing. Right. So for every one step forward the NFL takes, they take eight steps back. So like they're never gonna like it's 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 nuts. Like you're I mean, I'm with you, Jason. Like Goodell after the you know, my little scenario probably was like it this is great. Super Bowl's in February. Yeah. Dude, the, the, look, guys, the NFL is loving all of this. They're like, look, we told you we were gonna fix racism. We fixed it no one has to kneel anymore there's negro coaches willie nilly brian flores has a job brian flores didn't get blackballed you got a job oh no you're not a head job you've got a job what is funny though steve wilkes who was the interim coach for the panthers was also a plaintiff in that lawsuit Mm -hmm. coached his ass off and had the panthers within a game of a playoff berth right um, wasn't even really considered for the head gig. Um, and was essentially told, you know, uh, this is after all the players were like, dude, keep him. Did you see how well we played after he took over from fucking yeah. wonder boy, Matt rule, you know, like, you know, I don't think Tepper had any real intention of keeping Wilkes. You know, he wants an offensive minded coach, the defensive coach um and that's another thing we need to look at right the nfl likes to try out these young white offensive gurus. as headmen yeah yeah any if when, especially when you look at defensive coordinators now mm-hmm. a lot of black dudes and with the yes. rooney rule no. they get that they get that one interview and the team goes listen we mm-hmm. did our job for for we met the intent but we're going to hire this 34 year old, you know, offensive genius. Um, Until you get a black offensive genius and there's just, they're coming on the defensive side of the ball and they're doing something incredible. I I think I don't want to underplay that right now because I, as I am actually really kind of blown away about what I'm seeing from the defensive side of the ball with people like D'Amico Ryan's. I can't oh, yeah. even pronounce the Broncos defensive coordinator. <laughs> I mean, up until like the last three games of the season or so, that defense was holding it together. They're a top five defense. Um, oh, definitely. With a horrible offense and keeping the team in games based off a defense that was being held together also with, you know, losing big name players. Um, um, Gregory was gone like the third or fourth game of the season. Randy Gregory. Yeah, that, that so, you know, you lose your big pass rusher. They traded Bradley Chubb trying to get a one for him, and they got it. 
So I do agree there's a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball. It all depends on what wins the Super Bowl. Let's be honest. That's how the league is. There was a moment where all these defensive guys were getting head jobs. Um, and then they weren't when Belichick came into the play. When Belichick comes into play, who's a defensive guy, the Patriots aren't blowing people out 42 to nothing. You know, it's Tom, it's not the Bears defense you're watching. You're watching the, for years, you're watching the Tom Brady show. Um, yeah. And a lot of people talk about Eric Bieniemy. There's someone in the chat talking about Eric Bieniemy, but uh, I don't know if you saw the Shady McCoy thing. He's like Eric Bieniemy's like a shitty guy. And a lot of people don't like him. Don't like playing for him. In the Bieniemy, yeah, I, I, I've I've seen, I've seen and heard a lot of different players. So like there may be some truth to it, you know. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Shady McCoy was butthurt. Father Time caught him much earlier than he thought. And he was an afterthought mm-hmm. when he was in, in KC, yeah. you know, and that there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, man. He had a great run in Buffalo and Philly, you know, Yeah. You know? but he, you're not going to, you know, lose, you know, he wins every fucking time, man. Like, so, you know, he, he was butthurt about playing time and touches. And so maybe that affected what, you know, how he thought about the enemy, but like, I've also like, he's no contemporaries peers that are like, yeah, dude, the enemy's sucks like he's just a bad dude great great football coach horrible person yeah you know but then i've seen other people that are like nah dude the enemy's great you know so it's just kind of like all right and 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 we don't like byron left which i think is one of those guys too you're wondering like why he doesn't have a job yet because it's apparently people liked him uh but tom brady the last couple season hasn't really put up big numbers but um yeah i mean dude he threw for he threw for just under 5,000 yards. So, I mean, yeah. that was, I think and that was the year that everybody was talking about Byron Leftwich. Yeah, let, let's see what happens. A lot of these guys are ex-players first and foremost. Let's see what happens when these longtime black backup quarterbacks retire. Teddy Bridgewater, Josh Johnson. These are super smart players. That's why they keep getting jobs because they can analyze the playbook extremely quickly. And and you can implement a game plan with them overnight, as they did with Josh Johnson mm-hmm. um, in in San Francisco. I want to see what happens with those guys. Do they just go? Oh, I played football. I saved some money. I'm going to go retire at 35. Or are they going to get into coaching, um, like we see with all these defensive guys? And there's probably a lot more. To yeah, it I mean, and the thing is, know. the NFL is doing the. The NFL is doing that academy now, Jason, yeah. Yeah. to kind of feed, uh, as the, I guess you would say, non-traditional coaches. So, mm-hmm. you know, retired players, women, you know, to help kind of get mm-hmm. their foot in the door so they can become parts of staffs. Um, and they're all doing it for officials as well. Um, <clears throat> there's four former players that are now like referees, which is kind of weird, mm-hmm. but cool at the same time. Um but, you know, so, like, hopefully that program actually works. Um, but, like, you know how football is, man. Like, it's it gets in your system. It's something that, you know, you've done your whole life. How do I step away from it? So I could see, definitely see guys like that going into coaching. Um, <clears throat> you know, especially at some of the wideouts now. Like, how they were able yeah. to just immediately be successful in the NFL, especially with more complicated route trees, uh, much more complicated playbooks. You know, like guys like uh, Amari Cooper, 
uh, Julio Jones, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. those guys, they, I mean, do look at what Brian Hartline did in, in uh, Ohio state. Like yeah. what well, didn't have the best pro, but he's able to recruit all these wideouts that meet have immediate success as soon as they take Columbus. And, and so, doing a great job. You know, and, and I think that's another thing we don't talk about. You can go to the college route, have a much more secure job, even through administrations. You can stick around through administrations if you recruit. If, if yeah. Heartline's going to get you, uh, what's that kid in New Orleans? Olave? If he's going to get Chris Olave coming to school and get him playing at that level, well, we can cycle through coaches, but we got to keep that guy that's bringing in this level of talent. And we can give him a million dollars because we have well, he's the gonna, budget for it. Yeah, and he's going to be – he's officially calling the plays this coming season. Like Ryan Day is yeah. handed off the reins and, to him. And you got job security you don't have in the NFL. NFL yeah. is some shitty I mean, job security. There's only a handful of cats that get long rope. And some of these, you know, this, the cats may get mad at this. I know two Negroes with some long rope. Marvin Lewis, long rope. And uh, and uh, old boy in uh, Pittsburgh. I can't think of his name off the top of my Mike head. Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, long yeah. rope. For better, Mike Tomlin has, you know, some Super Bowls under his belt, but it's been a minute. Marvin Lewis had, what, two playoff appearances in a million trillion years in Cincinnati? In 15 years, I think he had three. Long rope. <laughs> Long rope. Oh, he's an offensive genius, this Marvin Lewis. Okay. It's 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 a fickle business, I and I don't understand it. I would love to understand it and just say it is this thing here, but we know it's not. We know it's not. You know, why did John Gruden? Someone said something about John Gruden got a long rope to a degree, but not as long as Marvin Lewis. His rope wasn't that long in Tampa. Yeah. And then you, and you also got to look Gruden. Like he's a, literally a 500 coach who took another coach's players and won a Super Bowl. Won a Super Bowl. Like that's what he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on top of that, you know, talking to his buddy and Bruce Allen, you know, the guy that worked in Washington when, you know, Washington's under the active investigation, federal government and the NFL, um, you know, and he just says what he says through email. Like, it's not a big deal. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You did it through your NFL account. You big dumbass. Right. Like Gruden, you know, he should be beaten with a sock full of quarters. <laughs> I mean, that's just the long and short of it, man. I I think the NFL. Someone said um, it's a trendy league. I believe if if uh, if black lesbian coaches from the Combahee Rivia Collective was winning Super Bowls, <laughs> that's who they would hire. Oh yeah, I don't I think mean, the dude, NFL cares. I really don't think I, the owners care. It would. It would be a bad team that would take that kind of you know, <laughs> chance first. And you see him just come up, you know, okay, everybody, it's 246. Jerry Jones has somehow managed to extend his life. He's still owning and running the Cowboys. 
the really <laughs> shitty Seattle Seahawks hired a black lesbian coach from this collective. <laughs> Completely revamps the team. Jerry Jones is angry that the Seahawks have won another Super Bowl when he hasn't won one since 94. <laughs> <laughs> Refuses to hire black lesbian. Jerry Jones fires his head coach. And he, he goes and finds his lesbian coach from a collective. <laughs> <laughs> that, dude, that is the way the NFL is to me. Uh, th- look, there's a handful of owners that get caught saying the most amazingly racist shit in all sports. Remember Mark Shot? You know, those niggas sure can't oh, jump. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I talked to Eric Davis because a company needs so we can do a podcast series about Mark Shot. Jesus. Um, so I contacted Eric Davis, you know, a guy who played for her before he went to yes. LA. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, um, just not a good person. She's like, do you know what it's like to be an adult and be called boy? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> That's how she spoke to like in the clubhouse. Um, I believe that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, Paul O'Neill, who was part of, you know, the powerhouse early 90s Cincinnati teams, uh, just getting to pissing between innings. She'd let her dog just walk around Riverfront Stadium and shit all over the place. Right. <laughs> so, like, these guys would run back on the field and just step in St. Bernard shit, you know, <laughs> Um, you know, and then to top it all off, you know, you get Tom Verducci, who even back in the early '90s was one of the one of the, if not the best, baseball writers in the country, who was writing for Sports Illustrated, to interview you. And what is the first thing she so shows Verducci? Box in my living room. You want to see what's in it? Nazi armbands, pictures of Hitler. An SS uniform. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. She was awful. And then, and then after it kind of being like the quiet thing we don't acknowledge, mm-hmm. after this interview hits, then like, well, Marge, you're going to have to sell the team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Only after all this happens. Yeah, only after it comes out that you're kind of an unrepentant piece of shit, you have to sell the yeah. team. Yeah. Look, uh, you know, look, we have to wrap up. It's it's late for you guys, Mac. I know you've had a hell of a a, a day. Um, I want to say oh, this, but, but here's my oh, pick, ahead, Jason. Ahead. Here's my pick. I think it's okay. Philly. Uh, I think they control the line of scrimmage. I think they run the ball heavily. They harass Mahomes, who's still coming off an upper sprain. So I can see like a 21-17-2016 game, but okay. I think it's it's kind of going to be slugfest. Okay, Pascal, who who do you got? I think it's going to go with Philly. You think Philly's going to win? Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to say that because we have two black quarterbacks in the game, all of Black America wins. <laughs> we all win. No matter what happens, no matter the score, <laughs> we've all won. And on that note, uh. <laughs> thank you guys. 
for joining us. Thank you guys for hanging out for two hours. If you like what you see here, this is the bonus free show we do every Saturday. Usually we do a one-hour show uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Wednesday. We go to our champagne room. The champagne is on the house on Saturdays. If you like what you see, drop a tip in the tip jar. Get some TIR merch. We are black.